Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Santa H., and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, living in a solution one day at a time. Today is January 9th, 2017. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page XXVIII, the last paragraph that begins with men and women drink. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Betty W., the 12 Traditions, Libby E., and reading the literature for today are Chelsea H. and Lisa B. The share ID for Monday, for Sunday, January 8, 2017, our special edition meeting is 9461. 9461. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome anyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Betty W. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Betty W. Betty W., we don't hear you if you're speaking. Do you hear me now? Okay. I can. Go right ahead. Okay. Thank you. Good morning, Santa, and everyone on the line. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory 
and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And thank you, Betty W. I will now ask Libby E. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Libby. Thank you, Fanta. Good morning. I'm Libby E., recovered compulsive eater in New York. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest uh, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. And thank you, Libby E. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share. When we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. And then press star 1 to mute your phone. 
In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We are on page XXVIII, the last paragraph beginning with men and women drink, through five sentences ending with a firm resolution not to drink again. I will ask Chelsea H. to begin reading. Good morning, Chelsea. Good morning, Santa. Good morning, everyone. This is Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive eater. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. I'm still Chelsea, living in the solution one day at a time. Um, for me, this whole paragraph or the sentences I just read really lays out what life is like for me when I'm abstinent only and I haven't implemented this program of recovery in my life and the cycle of addiction takes over. I give in, I go to that first bite or that first behavior that kicks off everything and I have this abnormal reaction and then I go get this phenomenon of craving that goes on and I give in succumb, and I, I'm so remorseful afterwards when I'm left with empty boxes and bags and cartons and often bones, and I feel like this is it. I've got to not do it. I cannot do it anymore. I throw my hands up in disgust. I look at myself and with agonized eyes because I just cannot figure out why you can't stay stopped. Why did you start again? So I make another solemn oath or, or make another resolution that, you know what, this time I'm going to do such and such or so and so. There was always some other fix-it that I was going to put into place so that I would not succumb to the desire again. But I was abstinent only. I was not treating the root of the issue. I was trying to um, solve the problem myself with the same solution I had been using over and over again and not getting any kind of relief. So it was perfectly normal to me. It seemed okay to me to pull into drive-throughs and eateries, to go up to the Chinese food counter and get $40, $50 worth of food for one individual and stop on the way back to pick up a good large size of fries so that way if I get a little peckish between the one eatery to the next, I'd be able to survive the trip back home to eat even more. And that seemed normal to me. It seemed A-OK. -okay. And when I wasn't doing that, I would get restless, irritable, and discontented because I didn't know what to do if I wasn't eating or drinking. I'm a huge drunk. So if I wasn't engaging in those behaviors, who was I? I had no reference because I spent so many years in the gutter that when I had a moment of relief, when I was able to manage to stop, 
I didn't know what to do except eat to get that ease and comfort. And it's a sense of ease and comfort. It's not even a real thing. And it's so elusive. I can't put my hand on what it is that when I take that first bite, it goes, even on the way to get the stuff, I'm, I'm getting into ease and comfort mode. But after the first couple of bites, I'm feeling rotten and horrible, and I've succumbed to that desire again, and then all the stages of the spree kicks in, all back out again, picking up all the food, cups of gravy, all kinds of manners of things to get ease and comfort, to chase that effect. I'm chasing whatever that effect is that my ism gives me, and it, I just can never recreate it. And the phenomenon of craving condemns me biologically that I'll have to engage in it over and over and over again. And um, this is up to this point of what I read is me without this program of recovery implemented in my life. With that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you, Chelsea H. And now we're going to open the floor for sharing. Who would like to comment for approximately three yeah. minutes on what was this read? Is this is Bella, can I share? I heard Bella. I heard Vasa O. I heard Katie G. Nancy R. I heard Nancy R. Nancy Oh, my gosh. Nessa R. I heard Nessa R. Tina S. Okay, Jackie B., I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to say who I have, and we'll go through this again. I have Bella G., Vasa O., Katie G., Nancy R., Nessa R., and Jackie B. So we didn't get you the first round, we get you the second round. Good morning, Bella G. Bella G., are you there? Sorry, I was talking to the wall. Thank you, Tlanta. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Santa, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, such a wonderful, wonderful paragraph, and it's me in this paragraph. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. Yes, before the program, you know, I didn't know that I have an allergy in the body and an obsession in the mind. I just believe that I don't have the willpower, everybody can, and I cannot. And I was angry, I was upset, I was judgmental, I was critical to myself, to others. And this is my only life that I knew, and this is the only life that I believe that this is it. This is the life that God wants me to live, and I believe that this is normal. And I did believe that, yes, I don't have the willpower. I am, I am gaining only because I am not listening to other people. I believe that, you know, I am a kind of, I cannot control myself. I don't have a willpower. And the worst part was that I did believe in it. I did believe in it. And it was day after day that I was miserable, I was jealous, I was upset, I was angry, 
I was sad, I was in pain, and I did believe that this is my life. This is the way I was born, and this is the way I will die, and I believe in it. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I am not there anymore. And today, thank you for the information. And I know that I have allergy in the body. And as soon as I eat those alcoholic food for me, this is how it goes. And thank you, God. Today, I choose one day at a time to be connected to a higher loving power that accepts me and loves me. Thank you for letting me share. And I pass. And thank you, Bella G. And next we'll have Vasa O. Good morning, Vasa. Good morning, Santa, and good morning, everyone. And I am a grateful recovered compulsive overeater calling from Florida. And I've shared many times before, I had no clue about the, the program. I had no clue about allergy, the mental obsession. And I had been living with it for 25 years of my life, always trying to look for the solution to regain control over the food, and I didn't even know they, they, I didn't know they called it disease, you know. And then it's the identification. I remember reading this uh, paragraph, and men and women think, drink essentially because they like the effects produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it, it is injurious, they cannot after a time different, different than true from the false. And that was uh, how I felt, you know. I love the sensation. I love to eat. I, you know, I told my husband every night how much I love to eat, you know, especially the sugary things. You know, I lost it over recipes. I lost it over my cookbooks, and I just love to eat, you know. And I wanted to stop. I tried to stop many times. I could do it for a little while. I could not stop because the mental obsession would come back again. So uh, I'm just so grateful that I found the solution. And, yes, I felt uh, restless, irritable, and discontented unless they, again, experienced the same sense of ease um, by comforting myself with the food. And, um, again, I'm so grateful that I did come to the big book and I could identify with every one of you. Sometimes I feel like I cannot express myself as well as others do, but the feelings were right there, and the solution for me was right here. It's laid right here. It's such a gift for me. If I do this, what's given to me, the suggestions, the recipe, and it's going to be taken care of, and it has been taken care of. I don't obsess. I don't think about the food any longer. I don't want it in my life. I don't need it. I don't want to be sick. You know, I would be even dead if I continued doing what I was doing. So uh, thank you for letting me share that pass. And thank you, Vasa O. And next we'll have Katie G. <clears throat> hey, Santa. Good morning. May I be heard? Yes, you can. Good morning to you. Good morning. Sorry, my timer recovered. Katie G from Boston, Mass. Anorexic bulimic recovered. Um, oh my goodness, so exciting! All right, that sense of ease and comfort. So, 
what does that mean? It means since I was a little girl, I was not even excited about the sexiness of the flour, sugar, and quantities. Like when when it was in my body, right? It wasn't like a party in my mouth was all I wanted. It was the sense of the party in my mouth. It was that I'm at school and nobody's talking to me and I feel like a piece of you know what and I'm miserable and my mind thinks, oh my gosh, KDG, your exciting thought, you're going to be okay, just get through the day because when you go home, mom's not there and you can bend your brains out and you're going to be okay, right? And what is restless, irritable, and discontent? I heard this, this thing, right? So it's like my dog, right? So when Ollie goes to sit down, he never just plops down. He does this circle over and over and over and over again. And then when he's down, he finds a new spot. And it's that sense inside of me that I have felt. I don't know where I'm supposed to be, but it's not here. And, I, and then I get to there, and I don't know where I'm supposed to be, but it's not there. And in my recovered life, before I relapsed, again, it was this sense of, okay, it's going to be okay, Katie, because you're going to go to the gym, and you're going to get down to a certain body weight, and then Evan is going to love you more, and you're going to be okay, right? And it's that need for control, that lie, if I can just get everything in a row, and um. He talks about our alcoholic life. Our food-based life was the only normal one. You know, for me, there have been times that my fear-based life was the only one. You know, and what this, what this paragraph so eloquently talks about, and the reason we're all like bust on fire to share, is because it describes me to the T. And what does it mean today? It means today if I start even feeling a smidgen of restless, irritable, and discontent, it's because I'm telling myself lies. I'm telling myself, God, if you gave me this thing, I wouldn't feel the way I feel, so let's go, right? And what's the truth? My ABCs. A, I am a compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. I cannot manage my own life. B, no human power. No amount of men. No amount of diamonds. No amount of babies. No amount of money. No amount of stuff is going to fill the, the gap inside of me. So what a privilege today to be sharing this with all of you. And I just can't wait to hear all of you because I'm in it. I'm in it 100%. I'm doing it with you guys today, no matter what, shoulder to shoulder, because my life depends on it. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Katie G. And next we'll have Nancy R. Good morning, Nancy R. Hi, good morning, Santa. Thank you for your service. Uh, I'm Nancy R. I'm truly a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, and I don't take this lightly. Uh, being recovered. It's a gift from God that I'm eternally grateful for. for. Um, when I read this this morning, uh, it evoked a, a, a memory. Uh, many years ago, when I had moved away from home and I was living in this dense area in Chicago in a high rise, and if you got a parking space, you, you dare not move your car. <clears throat> and I remember uh, getting up in the middle of the night to go out to get some junk food. I didn't want to go, but I had to go. I mean, it was, it, it was this paragraph nails it. I really didn't want to go out. I was scared, but the power of my uh, disease forced me to get out, get in my car, lose my good parking space, go to an all-night store and buy junk food. 
and I ate it before I got back home. So I can never romanticize the uh, the uh, the sensation, whatever sensation I got. Uh, by the time I got back home, it was gone. And when I read this um, paragraph, it, it, it really brings uh, home to me the power of this disease and that those few minutes of uh, comfort that I get, it, it's like a, it, it was like a state of nirvana. It was like, oh, this is, this is awesome. But it leaves. You know, it doesn't last but a, but a minute or so. And then um, the whole phenomena sets up of craving that I'm forced to go back and get some more. So, you know, I don't ever want to romanticize, romanticize how good that stuff tastes because the taste only lasts for a second, and then the vicious cycle of eating more and more and getting more and more begins. And I can't begin to tell you how grateful I am um, for this study because I suffer from uh, short memory, and I don't ever want to forget how bad it was. I don't ever want to forget how bad it was, and I don't want to take for granted how good it is today. Um, so that's why it's important for me to stay in 12-step work. So I, uh, I'm always studying this book, and this vision for you is truly a godsend. I consider it uh, that I'm in a, a study group. Uh, I'm studying it every day. Uh, and... Uh, I can't do this by myself. The way this program is, is designed, we need each other, and I'm so grateful all of you are there for me. Thank you for letting me share. And thank you, Nancy R. And next we have Nessa R. Good morning, Nessa. Hi. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R. Recovered in Toronto, Canada. Um, they, can, they cannot differentiate the true from the false. To me, this speaks about the mental obsession that drives me to eat, it feeds me all these lies to rationalize, justify, and convince me that it is okay to eat. You know, lies like, you know, oh, it's, you had a hard day, this is going to make you feel better. Lies like, yeah, you're going to have to be, you're going to be able to have just, just a couple, just two, and that'll be enough. You know, nothing's going to happen, you're going to be able to stop at two. And, you know, that was never true. That was never true. Uh, food never made me feel better. Yeah, sure, it felt, I felt pleasure for like the three seconds that lasted in my mouth, but then I was totally overcome by fear, guilt, shame, and remorse um, after all I ate. And, you know, it was a lie because I could never have just two. I could never have a, just a handful. I could never have just one. I could never have just a slice, you know, because once I put it in my mouth, you know, I just had to finish the whole lot. And, you know, I did crazy things as a result of this inability of mine to differentiate the truth from the false. You know, I, you know, when I was in college, I, um, you know, I would endanger my life literally to go out at two in the morning in the dead of winter to a not so good part of town to get my favorite binge food because that was the closest uh, location. And I would tell myself lies, you know, like, this is okay, you're going to be safe, nothing's going to happen, you know, and, you know, thank God, like, nothing did happen. But, like, this, this were all these lies because I was going to feel better. And now fast forward, you know, I don't know how many decades to recovery. Um, and, you know, one of the promises of recovery is being able to differentiate the true from the false 
you know, being, uh, um, you know, when in page 84, it says, when tempted, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. And I had a, a very poignant experience of that uh, when my daughter was uh, finishing elementary school. But, you know, she came into the car eating a, uh, a cinnamon bun that the teacher had given them, and it smelled amazing. And then I thought to myself, wow, it would be nice to have one of those. But immediately the recovery kicked into gear and it told me the truth. And the truth was, Neste, you cannot have just one of those. You know, you're going to start with one. You're going to have to go to the bakery and get a dozen more. Um, you know, then you're going to have to go to the supermarket to get something salty. And then you're going to have to go get something sweet. And then, and then, and then. And then it's going to be 70 pounds later, um, full of fear, shame, guilt, and remorse. And that's it. The temptation stopped right there. Because by the grace of God, through the, through the working of, of, of these 12 steps in entire abstinence, now I can be a reminder. I can differentiate the truth from the false. Thank you for the reminder, and I pass. And thank you, Nessa R. And last, we have Jackie B. Good morning, Jackie. Jackie B., are you there? Okay, perhaps I misunderstood. Okay, we're going to move forward. Okay, there you go. Go right ahead. Good morning, Jackie. All right, I'm Jackie B. from the Bronx, uh, recovering today, one day at a time. Um, I'm, like, so grateful. Uh, You know, I've been in this program over 20 years, and it's just now that, you know, with the clarity and that last binge that I started to do a vision for you, and I started to work with a vision for you uh, sponsor and really understand the food addiction, and I'm amazed. I'm just literally amazed because I am... I lived my whole life, um, you know, running to get that effect, you know, uh, being told, you know, Jackie, there are other people here, you know, always being pre-warned by everybody that, you know, don't take so much, you know, even in absence. I mean, I've had abstinence in the past, but, you know, how abstinent are you if, you know, even if you're taking abstinent food, you're planning it and you're filling a whole plate till it's piled high. You know, it's because I was still trying to get that effect because I was uncomfortable being at a wedding or being with my family or being with other people, Um, going to, uh, you know, Costco and buying big bags of candy and see if I could hide it before my husband gets to the register to see that I just bought it so that on the way to the car and in the car while he's talking, my face is turned part of the way and, and popping you know, as many pieces as I can, you know, while he's talking or uh, spending a whole year uh, in my room in piles of clutter and, and, and refuge just so that I could keep the rest of the world out so I could eat in, and binge in my house, you know, without anybody wanting to be with me um, because I couldn't take all the clutter. Um, I remember all these things, even yesterday, because of this program, I'm not chasing that effect anymore. I felt hungry yesterday. And when I say, wait a minute, if I feel hungry, that means something. So I'm not doing service. I'm not doing something. So I got up. I cleaned my stove. I washed some dishes. I moved around. And it went away. Oh, my God. 
because I'm not chasing the effect. I want the clarity today to know that there's a better way today, that I can feel my feelings, be part of my family, be part of everything, and not chase the effect because with the effect, all it does is give me the, the, the downer, which is the discontent and irritability. So for today, I thank everybody for being on the line, and with that, I pass. And thank you, Jackie B., and thank you, everyone, for being um, mindful of the three-minute um, mark. Who else would like to comment for what was uh, comment on what was read today? Harlan G. Melissa C. Anne Marie Reva P. Melissa Okay, this is who I have. I have Harlan G., Kim G., Larry K., Lisa C., as in K., I believe, and Reva P. Who else? Lynn S. Lynn S. Lynn S. Roz R. I heard Roz R. Janice M. Janice M. Okay, we'll stop right there. Melissa C. Melissa C. Okay, we'll stop right there. Hopefully we get all these names in here. Okay, this is who I have. I have Paul M. G., Kim G., Larry K., Lisa C., Reva P., Lynn S., Roz R., Janice M., and Melissa C. Good morning to you, Harlan. Harlan, if you're speaking, we cannot hear you. Harlan G., star one, please. Can heard now? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, you can. Go right ahead. Thank you very much. Thank you, Team Monday, for your service. Santa, thank you for your service. I'm going to make this as quick as I can to try to get it into three minutes because this paragraph is as foundational and basic to the program of recovery as there is in the book. For people like me, compulsive overeaters, food is never the problem. Food for people like me is the answer to the problem. The problem is the buildup of everyday normal human emotion. When I am not eating, the fear, the anger, the happiness, the jealousy, the regret, the remorse, all these various emotions will build up within me and I will soon become restless, irritable, and discontented. And in a normal eater, they can dissipate these emotions quite readily through simple normal activities like going to the gym, taking a walk, playing with the dog, having a glass of wine. Whatever it is that they need to do, they can dissipate the level of these emotions readily, and I cannot. Because pinponging around, pinballing around in my soul are these emotions which cause the restlessness, irritability, and discontented feeling. And the mental twist will work together with the mental blank spot, the built-in forgetter, and it will drag me by the hair into the food in search of a solution to the problem of the intense pain of not eating. So for me, food is not the problem. Food is the answer to the problem. And I will eat the food in search of relief to the untenable, unrelenting pain of not eating. And for about nine seconds, I get that effect. The world looked at me all my life and said, why is he eating like that? I looked at them and said, 
Why aren't they eating like that? Because food is doing something for me, not to me, for me, that it does not do for the normal temperate eater. It gives me that sense of ease and comfort. The only problem is now that I have the food inside of me, now that that Kit Kat bar is inside of me, it will trigger the physical allergy, making it impossible for me to stop. Now, if I can't eat because of the allergy and I can't keep from eating because of the twist of the mind in search of that effect, I am essentially powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. The depth at which I accept that will mark the urgency with which I will work the rest of the steps. So it begs the question quickly, and I'll close with this. What if I could find a way to live where my mind does not lock in on that sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly by eating an Almond Joy bar? What if I could find a way to live where I already feel better, where I'm not restless, irritable, and discontented, and the process of bringing the necessary power into the equation so that I do not build up emotionally to that level of pain is called simply recovery. And that's what this is all about, Charlie Brown. This is about substituting the effect of the steps for the effect of the Almond Joy Bar, and the effect of the steps will give me none of the death-defying side effects. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. And thank you, Harlan G. And good morning to you, Kim G. Good morning, Sansa. Good morning, everyone. Wow, I'm going to have to pick the bones of that share because that was awesome. Um, you know, this effect versus restless and irritable and discontent um, that Harlan described, I just want to kind of reiterate that. You know, I really thought that I just liked the taste of Oreos, and you guys have to teach me how to be satisfied after I have three Oreos. And it was this effect that I was chasing. So I like to use a simple example. I really, really can't stand coconut. It really, I just think it's totally disgusting. So one of my diet techniques was if I had to bring in you know, cookies for school, I'd make coconut cookies, or at Halloween I'd buy the candy with coconut in it because I wouldn't binge on it. But I would binge on it. I would eat my way through that disgusting taste of coconut because of the fact that the other ingredients in the cookies or the candy, that effect was more important to me and to ha- no matter how disgusted I was by the taste of coconut. So if it really is just the taste that you love, think of your own history. Are you eating food when it's stale? Are you eating food that's frozen that should be cooked? That was my experience. It can't just be that I like it. And this restless, irritable discontent, what happens when I'm not getting the effect of the food? The consequences in my sobriety, in my abstinence, is restless, irritable discontent. And as Harlan was saying, life gets loud. And I don't know how to quiet life except to get the effect of the food. You know, hearing in rooms, nothing tastes as good as abstinence feels, and I would nod my head because everyone else seemed to accept that. But abstinence, the consequences for me were depression, anxiety. It made me feel everything better. When I heard people talk about being back-to-back abstinent, I thought they were insane. You mean you want me to be abstinent in the morning and the afternoon and the evening? How am I supposed to function? Food is not a luxury. It is a necessity for me to get through life. I just need a little relief. 
And that's what I really saw in this paragraph. My mind needs relief. As a recovered woman, my mind needs relief. And if I had the allergy of the body and the mental twist, I had two alternatives to find that relief. I can get the effect of the food, which at this point I understand is going to kill me, or I can get the effect of the steps, which is going to bring me freedom. And once I understand allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, I have to ask myself, what is my choice to be? When life is becoming impossible, am I going to choose to pick up the food or pick up the steps? Because that mental twist is my, in a way my permanent condition and the only relief I'm going to get is the effect of the food that will kill me or the effect of the steps that will give me freedom. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Kim G. And next we have Larry Kay. Good morning. Good morning, Santa. How are you? Um, Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. You know, a pyromaniac uh, lights fire. They don't light fires because they didn't have a daddy figure. No, they, they have an impulse control disorder. It's a disease that compels them to do that which they rationally abhor. They hate doing it. She hates herself for lighting fires. And before torching the last building, she promised herself that she would never do it again. But, you know, in her heart of hearts, she knew it was of no use because she feels a sense of euphoria and she fixates on everything related to fires, firefighters, She's interested in firehouses and fire hoses. And I, as a compulsive reader, used to fixate on chefs and restaurants and recipes and utensils. The pyromaniac is fundamentally the same in their cognitive disorder, the disease of the mind, as I am. They deliberately set fires and deliberately setting fires to destroy property, people is illegal. Compulsively overeating, Destroying my life and your life around me is perfectly legal. I can do it the rest of my life. But the pyromaniac is compelled. And thank God there is a way out of this madness. It wasn't because I didn't have a daddy figure around. It wasn't because mom didn't give me enough love and attention or didn't protect me from harm, though that was the reality. But that's not why I'm a compulsive overeater. I like the effect produced by it. It brings me a sense of euphoria. It brings me ease and comfort. It numbs me out from feeling. And the only solution for a guy like me is to have a complete spiritual awakening. And I can't explain to you why that worked, but I can tell you it has. I'm no longer compelled to pick up the match. I don't light fires anymore. I don't think about firehouses or fire hoses or firefighters anymore. I have neutrality around the match now. It had nothing to do with the way I was brought up. It had nothing to do with my divorce, my divorces, plural. It had nothing to do with any of the irritability surrounding that. What it had to do with is I had a spiritual malady, and once the spiritual malady is overcome, guess what? I don't light fires anymore. I don't do that which I didn't want to do in the first place. And I'm no longer restless, irritable, and discontent in the face of fire that's all around me. With that, I'll pass. And thank you, Larry Kay. And good morning to you, Lisa C. 
Is there Lisa C? Perhaps I got that wrong. Okay, then we'll move on to Reva P. Good morning, Reva. Good morning. This is Reva P. Grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. Uh, what an amazing paragraph because it describes the vicious cycle that I was in for years and years before I came into this program. But what I want to share on first, as others have shared, is that I um, ate and overate um, because I liked the effect. It wasn't necessarily the food at all. Um, and there were times when I couldn't have cared less about what I was eating and what form it was in or where it came from, but I needed the effect. And what is the effect that food, food ingredients, food behaviors do for me that they don't do for somebody else? I, when I'm abstinent only, cannot tolerate life and people and things and places. I get restless, irritable, and discontent. And when I pick up certain foods or food ingredients, it gives me the awe. It calms me down. It gives me a sense of ease and comfort, just like a drug addict, just like any other addict for that first second. And I need that effect when I'm not living in the steps because I don't know how to live. I don't know how to cope on God's terms of how life goes. Um, so for me, the reason why it was doubly dangerous, and I realized, you know, f food ingredients don't do the same thing for normal eaters. They eat something and it doesn't give them the awe, like they're stoned and they've just shot up on a drug, but it does it for me. But once I put that in my body, what this paragraph educates me about is I am in a terrible, vicious cycle because now I've put it in my body. I get this physiological reaction that has some weird allergy, which means I crave it even more. So I eat even more. Then I get disgusted with myself and until I'm thoroughly disgusted, then I try to stop. I'm abstinent only. I get restless, irritable, and discontent, and I do the whole friggin' thing all, all over again. So thank you, God that this doctor was brilliant enough to identify um, the physical nature of my illness, which begins with a crazy thought. It's always the thinking, I can handle it this time. It's not going to hurt me. Um, thank you, God, for this program because I don't have to live like that anymore. With that, I pass. And thank you, Reva P. A second shout-out for Lisa. Are you available? Okay, we move on to Lynn S. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. This is Lynn S., a recovering compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. This, these five lines, I just sit there and I go, oh, my God, this is it. This is it. If anybody needs to know the why, this is the why right here. And I can remember when I was a kid, there used to be a cartoon, and there was some dog, and they would throw a dog biscuit in the air, and he would get it in his mouth, and he would jump up in the air, and he would spin, and he'd eat this dog biscuit, and it would be this big, ah, sigh of relief. That's exactly, exactly what happens to me. I get the food in my mouth, and it's so exciting on one thing. I think the top of my head's going to blow off, but while that's happening, there's a huge feeling of awe, of relief, and it's the relief from life, 
just life. And I never knew what the it was that was driving me crazy. And I could give you a hundred million examples, but when it came down to it, it was my complete inability to cope with life and people and things. And she looked at me funny and he didn't say hi and look at all this work and anything, anything. And excitement for me was just as difficult to handle as sadness or disappointment. And the feelings for me were physically painful. The feeling of walking into a room, the feeling of being questioned at work, any of the feelings that I had were physically painful. And a bite of anything, my teeth going into it, it hitting the roof of my mouth produced that sensation where I floated up in the air and a big awe came out. And when I read this this morning again, it's just amazing. It, it says it right there, and a couple of people that I spoke to went out over the last couple of days, and they can't understand it, or they don't know why, or they made it through Christmas, or they don't get anything that happened. And then upon looking back, they can pinpoint a few things that they got through, they thought, and, and congratulated themselves on getting through. But in reality, notice they were bothering them. And this, this is the whole thing. That's where that food, the, the need for the food, unless we have that psychic shift, unless we work the program, that need for the food takes over and that one bite gives us the relief. But then it changes. And I can remember in my last binge lying on the couch because then you hit the craving and saying, how long does it take to go from that awe to the craving and it was where I was eating every 15 minutes and the awe was gone and with that I pass and thank you Lynn S and next we have Roz R good morning Roz Roz are you there okay we move on to Janice M I'm here I was muted okay Roz go right ahead Good morning. Thank you very much. Hang on, let me put my time on. Um, okay, my name is my name is Roz R. I'm from Florida, and Santa, thank you for for your service and taking the meeting. Um, <clears throat> I am like in awe of what has been happening to me, and um, this this program and this book and this group, this vision group, has probably saved what I have left of my life um, because I just did not understand why all the years that I've been in program, and I've been in program for over 30-something years, and I've had abstinence and I've had weight loss, but I didn't understand the, the, mental, the um, mental obsession. I did not understand you know, the, what would happen. I would be abstinent for long periods of time, and I would get my weight down, and I would be as crazy thin as I was o- overweight and as discontent and as controlling and as miserable that I would always tell myself, well, what's the point? And I didn't, nobody in the meetings that I went to, even when we read the big book, it did not come alive. It did not come alive until I started calling in on this group. And it really didn't come alive for me until I put the food down. And it didn't really come alive for me until not only didn't I put the food down, but until I was willing to honestly look at the foods that were alcoholic foods, because there were a lot of foods. I've been through, just to give those of you hope who, feel hopeless. I, I went through six sponsors before I was willing to surrender because every sponsor I had yes buts with. 
Um, and I wasn't willing to, to, I just figured, you know, I'm a little bit different. I don't have to quite do it the way everyone else does it. But you know what? The one way that I believe this program works is the honesty of what are my alcohol foods. And when I put those down, something snapped, something changed. And I, I have to tell you, when I took the third step, I've taken the third step a lot of times, but when I took the third step with the sponsor that I have now, who I have stuck with, I didn't have a, spir a spiritual awakening. I had a spiritual experience. Something changed in me that moment that has changed me. I am not the same person that I was when I sat down that morning. I don't know what has happened. I, well, I do know God has entered my life. Um, but I, I had, and I know I'm wrapping up, but my, my daughter was here with her family recently, and the experience I had was like nothing I've ever experienced before. I was comfortable in my own skin. My food was clean. I worked my program. I listened to the meetings. I still call people. And the people, the, you, guys, you, you guys here, I mean, the phone calls that I have, the, the, what, the God Squad that I've created here with you guys have saved my life. I mean, you guys care, and I care, and now I am able to be there for other people, not trudging and you know, doing it because someone tells me I have to, because it's an honor. Anyway, thank you so much, and I'm so grateful for the life that I am living right now. Thank you, and I pass. And thank you, Razar. And our last share for today would be Janice M. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, good morning, Santa and everyone. My name is Janice M., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Okay, the, the paragraph is it's just so meaningful to me now that I know who I am. And um, this is the doctor's opinion, written for and by alcoholics. This is who he's talking. They're talking about men and women drink essentially because they like the effect. Normal people don't eat like I eat, or for an effect. I know, you know, my husband if he's angry or whatever, um, you know, if he had a bad day, he doesn't come home and want to eat, eat, eat. You know, but because I am a compulsive overeater, that's what I do. And, you know, I used to, <clears throat> when my mother was alive, who was an alcoholic, every time, and I could not understand this, that I went into her home, I, quote, got hungry. Now, <laughs> I was, you know, maybe abstinent or whatever. I wasn't even thinking of eating, but as soon as I hit her, face to face, I got very hungry, and I would always eat something that she had. And it wasn't because I was hungry. It was because I couldn't cope with her personality. And, um, boy, it took me a long time. See, the effect, the effect was, too, that, you know, I couldn't cope. I couldn't live a life on life's terms. So as a compulsive overeater, to get that comfort so that no matter what she said, it wouldn't bother me, I would eat. And so that's why, as a compulsive overeater, I, in my mind, I'm looking for the effect of certain foods. Now, not all foods, just certain foods, because I wouldn't go and say, did you have any asparagus? Because I don't like asparagus. I mean, it, that doesn't create any cravings for me or whatever. So it's the sensation. It's that physical feeling. You know, once I eat it, which, be, you know, starts up the allergy and then the effect in my mind. So 
Um, as a compulsive overeater, this is who they're talking about. They're talking about referring to alcoholics only. I have to remember this, and I believe everybody that shared this morning could identify with it because we call ourselves compulsive overeaters. See, the, see, the food does not do the same thing for a normal eater that food does for me. Not food, the effect of the food. You know, that's what I need for a relationship. I have a relationship with certain foods. I'm just starting where an alcoholic is um, just starting to, to drink to get the effect of, of whatever situation. Well, my time is up, so I need it. I need this certain food supposedly in my mind to deal with like, with life. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Janice M., and thank you to everyone who has shared. And those of you who didn't get the opportunity to share, we do have a second unrecorded hour study following closing. So please join us for that. We would love to hear what you have to say. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Will Lisa B. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Keep you until then. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Santa. Thank you for your service. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God if you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.